Well, hello there, and welcome back to the My Lazy Pancreas podcast. My name is Kyle Marsman. If you're a first-time listener or a returning fan, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's great that you found us. For the newcomers amongst you that don't have any context on me, I'm the author of those ramblings you might find over at trainingt1d.wordpress.com, which, by the way, has now turned into mylazypancreas.com. We're moving up in the world. All the same great content and stories, including all my ramblings, also has all these podcasts uh, on the website, just with a fresh name and a fresh look, hopefully. Now, my passion is certainly obvious when it comes to sports, fitness, nutrition, and of course, living with type 1 diabetes. I've been living with type 1 diabetes for well over 19 years now, and you could say I'm a little obsessed with all sorts of sports and fitness cycling, a range of martial arts with the third dan in Taekwondo, triathlons, marathons, weightlifting, crossfit, and of course my favourite, mountain biking. And I do all of this in spite of having what I call a lazy pancreas. The challenge and strategy that goes into sports, in particular endurance sports, is what really drives my passion. So much so, in 2018, I took off on a 10-day off-road 1,000km mountain bike adventure. This was on the Mundabidi Trail, and to be honest, it was pretty epic. I had all sorts of uh, adventures on that one, hence why it was called the Mundabidi's Epic Adventure. Have a search for that on your favourite socials, and you'll find some great photos and videos and lots of ramblings as usual. Now, this podcast is not about me, though. It's about the stories and experiences told from other people living with type 1 diabetes and kicking ass at life doing it. Hopefully, with these stories and experiences that these people tell, you guys can, you know, gain some sort of passion and, and drive to get out there and do the things that you want to do. We are splitting this up into a few different series, and this current series is a sporting series. So those of you that really love sport or have been afraid of getting into sport because of type 1 diabetes, firstly, please don't fear it. You've got to test it. You've got to get into it. But please have a listen to these stories, and hopefully you get something out of it. On today's show, we've got a good friend of mine, Neil McLagan. Now, last year, Neil cycled across Australia. That's right, that's what I said. He cycled across Australia. He ended up clocking up over 4,000 kilometres in 20 days. That's a pretty epic event. Now, he left South Mole in Fremantle in Western Australia and arrived at the Sydney Opera House. Now, he wasn't just doing this for fun. He actually did it as a both a type 1 diabetes awareness campaign plus also a fundraising campaign. And he actually raised over $20,000. Now, in today's episode, he goes through what it was like crossing Australia and some of those barren areas on the Nullarbor, what he went into with nutrition-wise and the planning that went into it, as well as some other epic stuff that happened along the way. And one of the other areas we go into is his next challenge, the Everesting Challenge. Now, enough ramblings from me. Tune in, have a listen to his story. But before you do, please make sure you do subscribe to the podcast. You can do it through your favourite podcasting platform or we are now at mylazypancreas.com or even soundcloud.com forward slash mylazypancreas. Also, I wanted to give a special thanks to Melissa from Art Well Done for the fantastic artwork that she's put together for the My Lazy Pancreas podcast. Go check out her Instagram page. She's got some fantastic artwork that she's putting out there. All freehand drawings. Fantastic. Thanks again for tuning in and hope you enjoy this episode. 
see you again, mate. It's um, always always great catching up with you. And you we, too, mate. We had our last catch up down at um down at the, the park when Beck was doing her epic swim down there. We did, yeah. That was my first podcast, so um, go and have a listen to see what that's all about with um, Beck swimming across the rocknets. Insane, what a journey, hey! It's crazy, hey? yeah. I was so excited when you published that podcast. <laughs> I was like, Listen to this guy, you've got to hear this. <laughs> listen to listen to her training, yeah. Such an epic her. journey, amazing. Yeah. It was really good to see that send off, yeah. To see her get in the water and uh, and get out there, yeah. But uh, super fish couldn't do it myself, no, that's right. <laughs> I'll be drowning, yeah. So, how are you anyway, mate? You're not, not far off the um, Everesting challenge, it's, yeah. Um, March 30, which is what, how many days away now? 21. 21 three days. weeks. We're officially three weeks today. So, uh, yeah, three weeks from now we'll be in probably all sorts of pain by this time. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, belly pain. So we'll go into that a bit later, but um, yeah. I just want to, I suppose, the intro to you, those out there that don't really know you. I'm yeah. Hopefully everyone does already from some of the epic <laughs> stuff you've already done. I'm an oversharer on Instagram, mate. <laughs> hey, that's how we share it, right? Yeah, that's, that's how it. We share the knowledge. Put the message out. Correct. Um, so, yeah, just a, a little intro into who you are and I suppose when you were diagnosed with, with type 1 diabetes and yeah. what's that sort of done to your life? Um, well, obviously my name is Neil, for anyone who doesn't know yep. and hasn't read the notes already. Um, and yeah, I'm a... Uh, I'm, Currently still 38. I've uh, got an, another few months until I tick that over to 39. <laughs> but, it's, just a number, uh, it's just a number. Yeah, it certainly is. But uh, look, I'm a father of two um, and I've got a lovely uh, partner and, and kids at home. So uh, they certainly are my priority and keep me busy. But uh, in and around that, I work as a customs broker um, in the freight forwarding industry. So taxation and uh, legislation, all the stuff people don't want to hear. <laughs> Fun stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but in my spare time, uh, I'd say spare time, but it's probably my second, uh, my second occupation is, is, uh, as a cyclist, uh, which I love and pour my passion into. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but look, I've, I have obviously lived with, uh, with type one diabetes now for, yeah, well, a little over, a little over 20 years, um, which I, I've kind of got to pause for that because yeah, it, it seems a like time, a long it? time. Uh, you know, you, you, you become consumed by it and don't realise all of a sudden um, you're years down the track and, yeah. and you know, it's uh, it's a big part of your life. But yeah. I was diagnosed at the age of 17. Um, I was probably at that sort of just going out with my mate stage. Um, and, yeah, it was... You know, it, it was one of those things that changes, it, it definitely changes your life like nothing else I can probably imagine in, in, in not the best way at that time. Yeah, well, you, don't, um, you don't feel like it's the best way at the time. No, and I think I was a bit of a deer in the headlights. You know, I here I am 17 just finding out what the world is beyond school. Um, I'd, I'd pretty well got to a point where school had become too much uh, and... I didn't realise at the time I was obviously quite unwell, but I was just struggling in all, all aspects of my life. Um, yeah. I was working at the, uh, the local burger place, <laughs> McDonald's. Um, <laughs> you and me both, mate. I reckon, I was having to think about this yesterday, I reckon there's something in that McDonald's side of things. Yeah. That's uh, maybe leading to the type one, but definitely. That's I mean, totally another subject. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just know, we never know the answer yeah, to that yeah. yet, but 
you know, I, I started to struggle with school. I started to struggle uh, keeping up at work. We used to have competitions on who was the uh, fastest to roll out nine cheeseburgers. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I didn't mind having a crack, that sort of competitive uh, edge. But uh, I started to really slow down to the point that I remember saying to the manager there at the time, I, I feel like I need a holiday. You know, I, I was only 17. I was just really all the telltale signs, losing a lot of weight, um, starting to urinate heaps, uh, but then on the other side, not really realising that my thirst was, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was quenching that with a supersized Coke. Oh, no. <laughs> I, you know, it was not the best, the best uh, way to sort of see pre-diagnosis, but I started to lose my eyesight um, and my clothes were falling off me. Um, and I didn't. I had no idea. I thought I was getting all of these sudden sort of health issues that mm. that were all unrelated, and, and I couldn't understand why. I yeah. was sleeping more, and you know, my mum had been saying for a while, "We need to take you to the doctor," because mums know they know when something's not quite right. Yeah. Um, and what actually happened was, I went to a shift one morning at McDonald's, and we got held up. So. As in, like, robbed? Yeah. Oh, so, right. so held up by a guy, um, and he actually had a steel, uh, like a, a long steel garden rake. Like, <laughs> and he was serious with this thing, but uh, as it turns out, I'm at the grill, and by that stage, it was like looking through a shower screen, that kind of vision loss. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't see a thing. Yeah. And I was very slow, lethargic, and everything went quiet. And I remember looking to my left out the corner of my eye and seeing someone standing there. And as I turned around, here's this this guy with a T-shirt wrapped around his head, standing with a garden rake, yelling and screaming at me. And and I'm just not even in the zone. Like I was, I was just beyond unwell. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what he's saying to me. And you know, I I, I kind of came to and realised, okay. He's holding us up. Everyone else had vanished in the store. So they'd all gone out different doors and windows. <laughs> Here's, <laughs> the Here's the guy with no eyesight standing yep. there trying to, you know, and I just said, mate, wh whatever you want, take it. I didn't resist, went round. He got a handful, about 30 bucks worth of change out the registers and went on his way. No food? No food. Oh. It wasn't cooked for him yet. If he had waited, <laughs> I would have made it. Yep, yep. Um, but, you know, obviously the store owner came in and had said, you know, it, you know, obviously there was a debriefing, I had to go for a medical checkup, um, and that was a good opportunity for my mum then to say, let's go and get you checked out. Mm -hmm. So it was a circumstantial thing. So I've gone to the GP, had a blood test, the GP's kind of umdenard, you know, and by that stage I had the hyperthyroid. Um, I was diagnosed with that at 14. So. Yep. There was, there was already question marks over autoimmune. Yeah, but, right. um, so the GP's taken notes, said nothing, done a blood test, sent me home. The labs phoned um, my mum at midnight that night and said, where is Neil? She said he's in bed asleep. Is, is there something wrong? And obviously a lab phoning at midnight is never good. Yeah, yeah. They said, well, his blood sugar is in the 50s. Whoa, um, that's, <laughs> that's 50 millimole. Yeah. So it was in the 50s at, by, that, by that, the point of that test, which would have been in the morning after my shift. Yeah, so, okay. And I don't think I'd had anything to eat by then. So we were, we were definitely in trouble um, yeah, okay. you know, by that point. 
And uh, so they basically said, take Neil to the doctor first thing in the morning. Um, so mum's woken me up. She said, Neil, uh, everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, and I feel emotional about this now because you kind of rehash things mm, and you think yeah. about it. But she said, "Let's. I'm going to take you down to the doctor. They've got some results for you, but we'll, we'll work it out when we get there." Yeah. And I'm just kind of. I was too unwell to really press for what was going on. Yeah. Walked into the doctor's surgery. Bam. Passed out. So next thing you know, I've kind of come to in Fremantle Emergency. You know, Fremantle Emergency, uh, which I don't think that they generally have a diabetes unit now, but they did then. Yeah. Right. And it was all a flash. They basically said, Neil, you've got type 1 diabetes. And I had no idea what that was. I'd heard of people that had it. I kind of had observed people, you know, watching what they ate and, yeah. and taking insulin. So I knew to a vague point of view, but I was just maybe, I was another one of those, I guess, naive people that wouldn't have thought about it. And you know, I'm not saying naive people. Yeah, it's, it's just a lack of knowledge. Like, yeah, there's so many people that I've spoken yeah. to that have had that same deal. Same with me. I thought I thought it was a bladder infection. Yeah, go in for something totally irrelevant to diabetes, but then it turns out being. Yeah, it turns out, yeah. So you know, I've gone from that that lack of understanding what type one was to being said, you've got type one diabetes. My brain instantly, what does that mean? Yeah. Without even a second pause, there's a nurse there with an insulin pen. And I hated needles. Like I, I feared blood tests. Yep. I've never had a good relationship with needles. And she said, this is your insulin. This is what's going to keep you alive. You have to take this with food for the rest of your life. Yeah. I looked at it and I broke down. And I just, I cried. I said, mum, this, this can't be real. You know, this, 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 this can't be real. No, what? I have to take that. And I couldn't, it would not sink in. Yeah. And obviously by that stage, I was very unwell, so they admitted me. Um, so they've taken me up to a ward, and I swear it's the worst moment I've experienced with with probably diabetes. There was, there was bad moments after that, but being put into a public ward in a room with someone that was had overdosed on drugs and then directly opposite another type 1 patient, and, and it's difficult to, to say this, but it was reality. I was in, in a room with a guy who was in first aid renal failure yeah, right. with two kids visiting him. Yep. That stuck with me. That was a moment in time that I didn't realise at the time sent me into a, a few years of denial, I think. That was my turning point where I just really went into a bad state of denial. But later in life, I kind of said, that's not going to be me. No, I don't want to go down that road. Um, I saw what he went through um, and, and, you know, there was moments about that that stayed with me. But yeah. that was my diagnosis, 17 years old and uh, off you go. Yeah. You know, it was the, the sort of old school uh, approach to eat and snack six times a day, take a mixture of long and short acting insulin and I would say hope for the best. Yeah. Um, and that was where the roller coaster yeah, right. that many of us are familiar with yeah. started. Probably not the the best intro into that into that hospital ward, but probably you know may have um, encouraged you to, to get on on the road of that, yeah. you know as, as passionate as you are now with both all the nutrition and the sports. It was probably a probably a good thing to be honest. I think so. In hindsight, it is, yeah. and you know I'm I'm never afraid to kind of talk about the emotions. And at that time, I just remember feeling you know, 
we talk about type 1 being an isolating disease. Mm. I've never felt, and I had my parents and my friends and people visit me, never felt so lonely in all my life. I was like, I was terrified for people to leave, to leave me there. And although I was being nursed into a better state with it, um, you know, the roller coaster started from the day I took insulin. Yeah. Because, you know... And, and, and that patient that had, had the, renal, um, the renal failure and the issues with his kidneys and complications from type 1, I remember him waking me up in the middle of the night, himself hypo, and sneaking me off to the kitchen to eat, <laughs> to eat biscuits <laughs> that were clearly off, off yeah, the right. chart. Yeah, for, yeah. It, I had signs up saying you know that there was obviously no food to be given yeah. to me outside yeah. of my controlled meals. But, uh, you know... It's just it's this the transition into into yeah. this is the rest of my life. I've yeah. got to live with this. So yeah. Well, I wanna get into that, that passion that developed probably mm. probably from there by the sounds of it, seeing seeing that yeah. where you didn't want to go. Yeah. Um and I really wanna get into how that's driven your, your cycling. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole point of this this sporting podcast is to get people to understand yeah. how, how much sport I suppose it's out there, but yeah. what you can actually do with it. And, yeah. You know, we're not encouraging everyone to go out and do some of the epic stuff that we do, but yes, it would be great to get dive into that. But before we get into the, the cycling side of things, what other sports um, have you sort of dabbled in since since you've been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? Yeah, well, look, for me, I've always been active. Um, even before type 1, um, the diagnosis, uh, most of my younger years and teens were taken up with, you know, all the common sports, the running, yep. the basketball. Yep. Had a bit of a love for basketball, but unfortunately didn't quite take that all the way. <laughs> um, and, and Taekwondo, that was yeah. that was a huge thing for me. Yep. Um, since I was about 11 years old, or might have been 10 years old, uh, Dad sort of took us down and introduced us to the local uh, local club, which was quite old school. It was the very sort of Mr Miyagi style yep. um, coaching experience, but it just taught me so much about life and about about respect, but about dedication and mm. putting your all into to sport. And it wasn't until really I was you know diagnosed with type one that I started to understand the mental benefits from sport yeah. and, and, and how it made me feel good. Because yep. I had a couple of years after that diagnosis where I just decided I wasn't type 1. <laughs> I went out, I didn't test for weeks. Yep. I would take insulin hidden behind doors. I would, you know, I, I hid an already silent disease from anyone around yeah, me. Yeah, from the book. I didn't want to... I was, I was not type 1, I was my friends. I was going out and drinking and I was doing all the stuff that yeah. was not going to help me. I was on a railroad to disaster. But it got to about, I think around about the age of 20, mm-hmm. and I had a severe hypo. Uh, I'd been out drinking with my mates the night before. Um, got up the next morning, quite typical of me to do. I didn't test took insulin, sitting at the table, that I would take, thinking, I need that amount for that many wheat bigs. <laughs> Didn't even make it. Walked to the kitchen and and remember saying, Mum, Dad, I need help. I don't even think I got the whole sentence yeah, out. It would, knowing, knowing how low blood sugar works, it probably would have been a, a string of gibberish. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's quite incredible because I remember falling back and being so incoherent, you know, you can't even feel your facial features. Like it's 
it's you're that low. But then I went into a seizure, mm. and and you know seizures are those those point of point of no return. Once you're into that seizure, it's pretty well you need glucose immediately. Um, but it was a scary thing. I watched my family in horror. I I went from being incoherent to feeling like I was trapped inside my body. My body was seizing, but then I was coherent. Yeah. I was unable to do anything, but I could see and hear what was going on. And then frantically, mum had glucose, so she's given me glucose syrup, put it all around my lips. Um, <laughs> and, you know, thankfully that obviously saved me. But yeah. I remember we sat down on the couch after and we started talking about the, the sort of flood of mental emotions I, I was experiencing. And, you know, I started to then move on with life. I started to look at where I was going to go. And that's when I thought, I need to get back into Taekwondo. Yeah. I need something. And I keep reading and hearing about diabetes being benefited by exercise. Yeah. And we've got a local club, highly reputable. Um, Anita, she's still a really good friend of mine. Um, known her for years and I knew of them so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna call Anita and I'm gonna see if I can start you know start doing Taekwondo get back into it yep and I was terrified like <laughs> I thought man this is this is gonna be really difficult because of how I'm gonna manage hypos and all this kind of thing um, so you know you have that fear but I, I thought no come on step over the line and the first session I went I was like, it was like I was 15 again. I felt like I was on fire. Like yeah. I just felt all the, you know, because you've done Taekwondo. We've spoken about that. Yeah. Uh, various, you know, I'd, I'd say we're separated at birth or something, but <laughs> you know how it's, you, you learn that skill and it never leaves you. You develop the pathways and it's something that that's, you, you forever know that. We might yeah. not be as flexible as we age. But <laughs> no, I've definitely you know, noticed that, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you retain that movement and that skill and that respect and that dedication, yeah. all the stuff that comes with it. And that very first session, I was like, bang, this is for me. This yeah. is amazing. And I came home and I remember that high, that, that endorphins, the feeling was incredible. And it was literally like for, for hours after, my diabetes decided to behave. That huge roller coaster. Um, and, you know, I might have had a hypo uh, in class, but I corrected it. But I found suddenly I was taking less insulin. And I thought, hang on, there's a relationship there. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I quickly worked it out. And that was it. I yep. just submerged myself in, in exercise. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's part of me anyway, but it was, it was, it was a fire that yeah. lit and has never that, gone that out drive, since. That yeah. drive that you needed And, and it, it dedicated, it, it pushed me to go further. If there's anything I can look back and say, thank you, type one, it is for pushing me to that limit. Like, yep. it, like you know, just being okay at something became not enough. Yep. I had to go to the next step. I had to push and push and push. Yep. I would always train. I didn't miss training sessions. I dedicated my my life outside of my career mm -hmm. and my kids to that. So yeah, and that, that shows in your in your your last um, endurance event with the the crossing for a cause. It was um, you're fairly well committed to that. Like that, that's a, yeah. a pretty um, epic event to do. I think it all rolls into, one rolls into the other. Yeah. Life's a bit of a journey. Yeah. And I think the more you learn, you know, and I, I fully advocate for doing, you know, 
if you're active out there, do as many sports as you can because every sport will teach you a different skill or yep. a different... A lot of them are mental, but some of them are physical and you carry those forward. So yeah, Taekwondo for me was was the grounding and it's mm. still the grounding in my yeah. life. Um, it basically taught me to to really dedicate yourself to that art, yeah. to that sport, if yeah. you want the most out of it. Yeah. Um, you really have to put the work in and, and, and decide, commit. You have to commit. Yep. And the day I decided to ride to Sydney, that's the day I committed. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I left when I left Perth I was I was I was pretty nervous, yep. like we all would be in that yep. environment. But I committed the day I kind of I worked up the courage and I thought, how's everyone gonna take this? And especially <laughs> yeah, I remember when especially you, when you Cara. Told us. Especially Cara, because yeah. I thought, you know, we've got we've got a, a young family, and here's me suddenly saying some radical plan <laughs> to ride off into the Nullarbor. Yeah. Um, but I committed that day when I yeah. sat down. I said, you know, and I'd been watching the Indie Pack. Yeah, that's right. I remember you saying you you're watching all those videos? Yeah, I got to a place where you know, after we had Kalen, um, and and obviously we we had a lot more pressure in our life at that stage. Yeah. And I remember again getting to a place that I was emotionally struggling a little bit for for my identity. I mm. was I was identity searching, and rather than sort of being active and motivated, I started to kind of go into this rabbit hole of you know coming home and just wanting to sit down on the couch yep. and watch YouTube. So I started you know getting right into into watching all of these different sports events on YouTube. Mm. And I came across this this crazy thing called the Indy Pack or, or the Indian Pacific Wheel Race. Yeah. And I thought, who are these guys? You know, and I got right into it. it I think it, it so many people became, you know, so caught up in, in it because it was yeah. so addictive. You know, you're dot watching. You, you're watching yeah. these guys on a, on a mobile GPS race across the country. Yeah. So I'm watching these, these video highlights and I thought, this is incredible. And I... Something in me, it just it lit this spark that I went, I could do that. You, you already had the cycling bug, and it's just something yeah. that's even more endurance than, what's, than yeah. what you normally do. It's like, yeah, I could do this, for sure. I, I totally thought that it was possible. I, I always thought that it was and, more and it than was possible. possible. It was. It always has been from yeah. day one, and I thought, not once did I sit there and think, oh, man, how am I going to manage type one with that? Yeah. I thought, no, I'm going to do it, and type one will be part of it, and... I'll raise awareness mm. for anyone that believes they can do something. Let's give it a go. So yep. I kind of sat Cara down and I said, I reckon I could do that, Cara. And she's like, yeah, maybe, you know, <laughs> a bit sort of thinking I was joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, no, seriously. Hoping you were joking. <laughs> yeah. And I, I said, no, seriously, I, I think I could do that. And she's like, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And she's like, well, it's going to take a lot of planning and organising and I could tell thoughts were running through her mind as well. Mm. But I think she knew me quite well and once I got these ideas in my head, it's pretty hard to, yeah. to sort of turn me around on yeah. them. Um, yeah. And I just thought, you know, this is my chance to lend a voice to something I believe in yeah. and this is my contribution. This is my way of saying type one has been a pain in the butt for a lot of my life um, and there's a lot of big lessons I've learned. Let's not see too many other people learn some of the harder ones. Yeah, exactly. If right. I can throw that out there and say, you know, you can do this, 
yeah. Um, why not? Yeah, I think you raise you raise a good point there. With it's not that you're going to plan around type one diabetes to no. to make that fit into the sport. It's the other way around. It's yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Type one diabetes is going to come along with me. Yeah. And we're going to actively manage that. But exactly. That's not going to be the focus. And no. Exactly the same as what I did with the the Mundabetes yeah. Yeah. ride. Like, um, those that have watched any of my Facebook videos, you'll notice that yeah. there wasn't that much chatter around the type no. one diabetes side of things. No. It was all about the sport. Yeah. yeah. It's there and it's coming along with me, and yeah. I'll do what what needs to be done. But yeah. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be your focus because then no. I think if you start focusing on that, you start to limit what you can actually do and you start thinking exactly oh, maybe i can't do that maybe that's gonna exactly it's, and it's... and we have those moments yeah. don't get me wrong For sure. um you know there was a lot of there was there was a lot of feedback from the public both inside the type one community and outside um and that's the thing with social media and especially unfortunately around cycling yeah yeah um <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of, <laughs> there's, a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of people with different opinions yeah, definitely and, there was a lot of, you know, there's quite a few comments there that came back saying that I was a safety risk and that, um, you know, not only was cycling on a main road dangerous, but cycling with type one in a remote location was putting my life yeah. at risk. It was setting a bad example. So I heard it all. Yeah. But to me, it was never an if. It was never a question mark. It was always a how. Mm. How do I get to that next point? How do I make it to Sydney and, and how not to let type 1 dictate how that's done? Yeah, that's Sure, right. there's some decisions that you need to make. There's a, it's a huge, I mean, the, the, the whole safety part of the campaign was massive. Yeah. I had a lot of people helping me um, to put that together because you do have to take it seriously, but it was never going to be my, you know, I'm, I'm writing day one for diabetes yeah i'm writing day one because i want to get to the next point and show people you can do this yeah that's right um so yeah it was for me it was just that ability to show what was possible and it didn't matter if you had type yeah. one it was it was showing anyone who was struggling with anything adverse in their life that you know, and and that's the same thing with with uh, the Mundabetes. Mm. You did the exact same exact same thing. You went out there and you sh you showed more than the Type One community what was possible because people don't just get up out of their armchair and go and ride a thousand k's down a mountain bike track. <laughs> you know what I mean? People don't end up in the Nullarbor by <laughs> yeah, at, by, right. by by coincidence. Yeah, you've got to actively choose that. That's right. And and you know it's it's about it's about just not being afraid mm. to step across the line. Everyone, I think so many people have these these huge ambitions, yeah. but fear holds them back. Yeah. But, you know, I say to those people, fear, we all feel fear. We're all afraid. That's of what drives something. you there, right? Exactly. And it's either your friend or your foe. Yeah. And if you learn how to harness it, it'll push you across the mm. line and you'll do it. And at the end of that, you're like, man, the reward is massive. Yeah, for sure. But we're all afraid. Yeah. Well, I suppose for people in the public that don't see the planning side of things that goes on before this. Like, no. I know for yours it was about twelve months. The same, yeah. same with mine. There was there was twelve months yeah. worth of planning. Like you said, it wasn't. Oh, today I'm just going to go for a thousand k ride and just hop on the bike and off exactly. you go. Exactly. It it's was a massive. a massive amount of not only planning but training as well. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a full time job on top of a full time job yeah, on top of right. a family. It's yeah. a huge commitment for your entire household. Yeah. Um, 
and and you know I remember um, it, for those that might have heard or may not, Mark Beaumont, he yep. he rode around the world in in less than eighty days. Yeah, just insane. Like it's it, for anyone who hasn't seen around the world in eighty days, watch it, yep. read it, insane. Mark was so kind to lend me his time. So we Skype called. I couldn't believe it. It was like my my hero yeah, in a way. Sure. You know, I'd watched everything he'd done in, in awe. He's a Scotsman. I'm a Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was umming and ahhing over the supported versus unsupported. Yeah. And I remember him when I spoke to him and I said, you know, I I'm I'm afraid. I'm I'm really afraid to go out there and take this risk, but I know that it's possible. And he said, Neil, I don't know what type one diabetes is. I don't know anything about you other than us talking over email and the phone. He said, but you can totally do this. You just have to believe that you can do it. Yeah, that's right. And that was when I said, solo, unsupported, let's go. Let's, let's lead the it. way in. It. Um, and it, it was that active decision to yep. do it. And I but, remember some of that planning that you did. So tell us, what did you what did you post ahead and how much did you post ahead? Yeah, so obviously, you know, it takes a bit of, uh, of thought. So we had to first of all think, well, what is the route that we're going to take? Yeah. Because some of these roads are so remote that, you know, sure, the, the, you know, going across the air highway and, and, and that sort of stretch, there's a lot of traffic per se. There's yeah. a lot of road trains and that kind of stuff. But yeah. you need to be solo and unsupported and self-sufficient. Um, and, and that was the decision. So I thought, how... There may not be the foods that I choose to, to eat available to me, you know, at some of these roadhouses. Yeah. So before, before you get into that, for some, some of us that are listening from outside of Australia and mm. have no idea about the Nullarbor or what, what the yeah. Nullarbor is, for some people it might be just another highway, but yeah, just give us a, a brief overview of yeah. what the Nullarbor <laughs> actually is. Okay. First of all, it's the windiest place on earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a love-hate relationship with the Nullarbor. I love how vast, how open and how, you know, it's beautiful. First thing in the morning when the sun comes up, it is so flat yep. um, and so silent. There's your pin drop and you see this a magnificent sunrise. It is a long, barren, very uninhabited place. Yep. Um, Contrary to any belief, there's not as many animals around as you might <laughs> what you might think, unless they're dead on yeah. the road. <laughs> but it's a treeless plain is is the other term for Nullarbor. And um, hot, right? Yeah, it, it is. It is. There's there's nothing out there. It's twelve. Tw- it's a twelve hundred kilometer stretch between Norseman, which is your last real town, yeah, um, to Sejuna, yeah. Uh, in in South Australia. So that's twelve hundred kilometers with not a single person, right? Pretty well, no one. You know, you're not you're not rolling into towns. The only thing you'll see in that stretch is a roadhouse every couple of hundred kilometres. Yeah. So, you've got a 200k ride per day ahead of you, um, or thereabouts. Some of them were 240 for me. Some are 260. But from the moment you leave that last roadhouse, you need to know that you're going to get to the next one. Yeah. Uh, because there's nothing in between. You need to know that you're not going to run out of water or yep. you're not going to run out of food, yep. predominantly food. Um, water obviously is more essential, but that's the other consideration. Type 1 diabetes, you obviously have to make sure that you've at least, you've sorted the food ahead of time. Mm. Um, so that was my strategy. I thought, well, I get to a roadhouse and it's full of, you know, 
Coke and potato chips, that's not going to serve me well. Deep fried food. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm obviously celiac, so yeah. I have to have the added challenge uh, yeah. in that regard. So this was part of the strategy and the planning in the 12 months prior was how do I get that food out? Well, it makes sense to, to mail it. Surely I can mail it to these roadhouses. Surely they have a post box. Um, and that's what I did. We kind of wrote out how much I would need between yeah. each stop and went and bought a whole ton of beef, went and bought bags and bags of macadamias, made a whole ton of cara. She slaved over the kitchen for, for days making this homemade beef jerky. Nice. Because I'd destroyed. I'd had a couple of attempts at that. I'm not a beef jerky <laughs> <laughs> pro. Yeah. But uh, Cara made this beef jerky. We, we dried it all. We bagged it all. Yeah. We separated it all, weighed it out, and ma- contacted the, the particular stops. Yeah. I think they were every second stop. So it was about three packages. One to Norseman. Uh, one was to Mundrabilla, if I remember rightly, and one to the Nullarbor Roadhouse. That was my survival strategy. <laughs> and in those care, I call them care packages, yeah, yeah. I had the beef jerky, I had the macadamias, I had some um, electrolyte tablets, yeah. uh, some salt tablets, I had uh, overkilled my diabetes supplies. So I had, As we do. Yeah. I, I actually I saw a meme yesterday on, on Instagram. Someone was... Um, Posting around their, their packing that had like this massive list of diabetes gear. Yeah. And the, the amount that they actually used was like, I don't know, an eighth of that. Exactly. I think, I think we all do that. We all think, oh, oh, if something goes wrong, I need all of this stuff, but you never actually use it. No. I, I packed, I mean, I packed glucose tablets, a whole ton of them. Yeah. And I got to Sydney with a whole ton of <laughs> glucose tablets. So you're never going to run out of them. <laughs> no. It was just, it, you know, but you, you, ha- you just have to do it. Yeah. Whether I was, you know, I, I had I had packed some uh, some protein powder mm. in the first in, in, in those as well, but yeah. I quickly realised within two or three days that uh, it just wasn't going to fit the bill. I, yeah. I didn't need it. It wasn't that, that that for any particular. I just didn't need it, and anything I didn't need in a ten kilo pack weight had to go. Yeah. So I had more than enough in those packages. Yeah. But that was my strategy. If all else failed and I had no access to food macadamias and beef jerky were going to carry me yeah. across uh, and, and it worked and i suppose the reason the reason why you've got jerky and macadamias are not things like bars and chocolate and you yeah know, the usual things that endurance riders have gels yeah. and all that sort of stuff is you know we follow a, a low carb approach right yeah and, and for yours you did more of a, a low carb high fat yeah so you're, you're yeah Basically, metabolizing fat and yeah. using that as your fuel yeah. for the ride yeah. across, right? So I was working on the yeah the fat ad- adaptation principle, yeah. um, and that was basically we we even tested that in a lab at UWA. Yeah. So we put us on there, and I'm, I've seen you've been hooked up to that a number of times <laughs> as well. We've all been on that pain yeah. machine, yeah. that bike, just part of the um, painting, right? Yeah. But uh, you know, we tested the RER, which is the respiratory exchange ratio, and that gives you a number that sort of you know, obviously works out how much carbohydrate versus how much fat you're burning at any given intensity. Yeah. Found my aerobic ceiling, found that I was burning predominantly 85% fat yeah. in my energy source and sat with that. I trained at that ratio for months before. Yeah. Um, there was short bursts of intensity, but I was basically a diesel. I was a fat burning machine yeah. that, that needed to go out there and, you know, if I had to last 200 kilometers without access to food, I could do it. Yeah. 
I had 40,000 calories yeah. sitting on my body, even yeah, as, right. as skinny as I became. <laughs> it was still there. It was accessible. Yep. Yeah. The energy output was very stable. Yeah. Um, and there were days that I trained in the lead up. I went out and deliberately had nothing but water. Yeah. So we're talking an eight to 10 hour training ride, um, sitting at a consistent pace, probably 30K an hour yep. without a dip in energy. And I thought, this thing works, you know. Yeah. There was no drop. In, in my energy output um, and my blood glucose could, could stay predictable. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't like to throw around the word perfect or in control because, you know, we're managing exists, something. Nah, we're managing something, but it behaved very well and yeah. it was predictable. That's yeah. the main thing. So I knew that going into it the very first day, I was confident the plan was going to work. Yeah. So... Five kilos of macadamias is uh, is the number that made it to Sydney. <laughs> it's a lot of macadamias. Yeah, it sure and is. A second mortgage. That's, that's a lot of calories too. <laughs> yeah. so you you would have been burning off for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever looked at the calorie number, but yeah. but after ten to twelve hours riding, um, you know, you're destroyed on every yeah, level. Definitely. Um, I even even saw at one roadhouse you you managed to um, unconventionally boil some eggs. Yep. Yeah, uh, you know, it, survival. It wasn't exactly surviving in my emergency tent on the side of the road, but yep. when you got to a roadhouse and, and you, you know, it was a very basic room, and I'm getting up to leave at 3 a.m., yep. um, and the kitchen's not open. And, you know, most days I'd probably ride for an hour or two yep. to get that, that uh, especially to get my basal insulin moving. Um so, I, I, you know, that was my strategy. I wanted to cover everything with mm. my basal. I yep. didn't want to put bolus in there and throw things off, off kilter. Yeah. So, yeah, one morning I, 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 I had no access and I was pretty hungry. I, I knew that, you know... I can't, can't imagine why you'd be hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to get down the road with, without eating. There was a kettle. So I, I had some eggs um, and, and I, you know, boiled my eggs in the kettle. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. Don't tell... I, I, got to remember what roadhouse it was but uh i cleaned the kettle <laughs> yeah good good work. but it's it's what you do yeah you know i i've kind of heard that thrown around every now and then that oh it's it's hard to cook eggs in the morning or it's 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 more time consuming yeah it took me t minus five minutes of hitting continual boil yeah they were done in the pocket bang i'm off, off you go cut open and cut open an avocado or you've got a piece of cheese or whatever yeah. um and that was me. Yeah. So you do what you got to do. Yeah. It's amazing how these things come to you yeah. out there. And I think that's a um, something that a lot of type one diabetics have is having having a disease sort of makes you forces you to do these sort of things and, yeah. and look at look at these I don't know roadblocks roadblocks as you call them and um, yeah. work work your way around like. Diabetes throws so many challenges in your that's face. It, you that's you it. just work around it all we the time. We are predisposed to to, stra- to strategizing. Yeah, remember that's right. we I remember we had this this um, conversation with uh, with our, our mate Duncan Duncan yeah. Reed and yeah. in uh, over in Queensland last year, and we were talking about the predisposition as a type one to living your life every day in strategy mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty how much. It, how it's like working out a puzzle. Yeah, you know, it, and it really is. And I think. You know, it, there wasn't there wasn't a day on on the Nullarbor or out in, out crossing Australia that I didn't have to strategize yep. to it. It was a it was a it was as much, if not way more, a mind game. Yeah. Um. Than it was physical. Yeah, definitely. I had to work out. You know, 
a number of different things to, yep. to get me through. Yep. So eggs in the kettle was, was, the, was what it was. What Picking it outside the box. Yeah. <laughs> Picking it outside worked. the egg carton. Yeah, and, and you know, there was things like uh, the night before when, when the kitchen was open, yeah. um, I think it was Nullarbor Roadhouse again that cooked me two meals. Yep. So I ate one there at the table, went back to my room, put the other one in the fridge, Bang, I'm waking up to pork chops in the morning. Yes. So good. Yes. Good <laughs> motivation know, for the day, right? Huge piece of fat rind on it. It was like, yeah. well, let's just put some of the fat stores yeah, back. Right. Let's go. <laughs> that, that'll last you about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's 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 what you do. Yes. It's, it's part of the game. It's part of the love. I, you yeah. know, it's, I love that side of it. Yeah. yeah. So I really want to bring you back with the um, the nutrition and, and the mental side of things yeah. on... You know, in the series that we've we've got coming up after you know after we finish this sports yeah. series, we've got a bit of a um, a nutrition one. Yeah. There's so much to go into with that. Yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah, so I really want to touch yeah. more on that a bit later on if you yeah you'd like awesome. to come back I'm on the show. A bit of overshare, mate. <laughs> so with with the the crossing for a cause, yeah. Um, what sort uh, I suppose social media have you got that people can have a look at that and follow what was going on with that and what, yeah, what so, is going on now. Yeah, so obviously there's there's the Crossing for a Cause website. Yep. Um, it's a WordPress website, so you might have to drop WordPress into, yep. the, into the Google search. Um, but the Facebook page, Crossing for a Cause, and that has basically everything from, from the 12-month bleed-up point, um, a lot of videos and, and photos and random stuff, yep. um, to all the live videos that I ran every day. Um, I had no anticipation of, of doing live videos yep. but I got out there and ran one and I went oh suddenly a ton of people mm, are watching it's actually this. fun to do yeah, as well isn't it it yeah. is and you know you become attached to it you're yep. like I'm looking forward to talking to humans <laughs> at the end right. of the day and although they're not talking back they're to me they're not talking back to me but yeah, yeah. so there's all the live videos yeah, on okay. there shared a lot about yeah everything yep. that I did so if you want to learn about it yeah Facebook yeah. so we'll stick all those all those links that you've got um, into the, the show notes yeah as well yeah um, but one, I suppose, really exciting thing that we, we, we touched on at the beginning was um, the Everesting Challenge. I'd really like to get into that and yeah. understand what it is, what is the Everesting Challenge and why yeah. you've decided to take this one up. Well, I think, you know, I got back from, from, from the crossing mm-hmm. and as I think is very common for most of us in these types of events, you have that big come down, yep. you know, and it's back to reality and you've got there's that thrill, that thrill's kind of died down and yeah. I realised that there was something missing, you know, um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go into it too much, but obviously my life quite rapidly derailed weeks after when I had a very serious accident yep. um, and I've spent the last nine months not only overcoming that physically and mentally, mm. um, but searching for who I was again. Yeah. And searching for what was my purpose, what is my why? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's really important. It, it's huge. We all need to live by by purpose. I think yeah. we all have a purpose. We all have a reason. We all have something that lights the fire. And of course, my family is a huge part of that. But as a side note, you know, cycling gives me a voice. Yeah. Um, not only as a human, but as as an advocate for a better life for type one. And I've always been, had this niggling urge to to sort of read more into Everesting. So if anyone's seen the Hells 500, they're a group of of cyclists in Melbourne, um, Andy Van Bergen. He, they, they basically invented 
riding the height of Mount Everest in ascending <laughs> meters yep. inside a single ride. So yep. that's without a sleep. Um, I had thought it was initially under 24 hours, but it's within a single ride. So you can't hit the stop button. You can't yeah. go to sleep. It's one Strava file for those who are on Strava. <laughs> Just make sure you press start yeah. on your Garmin. And look, you know, 8,948 metres. So what's that? 8.98, 8. you know, nearly 9 nearly nine Ks up. Oh, yeah. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal. It is, it is described as one of the most brutal cycling challenges in the world today. Um, and it looks that way because I've watched countless videos of, of people making these attempts yeah. and physically and mentally going through the ringer to do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Perth doesn't have mountains. <laughs> so that means I've got to ride up probably one of our bigger hills a heck of a lot of times. Yeah. 40 times, actually. Yeah. So the hill I've chosen, about 40 times uphill to reach that. Which was a lot less than the original hill, right? The original um, hill was about 80. Yeah, so the original hill was shorter, yeah. slightly, it was about the same gradient, uh, but it was shorter, yeah. so it involved more laps to yeah. get the same. But this hill, um, yeah, 40 times, about 2.8k long. Yeah. Um, it's got some twists and bends, it's got some 13% gradients in there. It's going to hurt, like it's going to, but what it did was pulled me back off that couch. When I had my accident, you know, I, I haven't, I don't want to go into it again too much, but I, yep. I, I, I severed part of my femoral nerve, yep. so the nerve that feeds all the muscles and nerves in the, in the legs. Um, I severed part that serves the right leg, and I'd initially started walking with a limp yep. when I did get back to walking. Um, and I thought, you know, they said you might never get the motor function back, and that just put a rocket up me. I was yep. like, no, no way. You know, I'm not... I live with I live with 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 enough difficulty. I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to leave this to chance. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go hit it at the gym, and it kind of evolved from there. I thought you know, cycling uphill involves a lot of leg strength. Definitely. So let's test my weakest link and let's <laughs> put it out there. Let's put it to the yeah. test. And I believe it, just like the Nullarbor, I believe I can do it. Oh, yeah, I, sure. I I firmly believe my mind will not let go. If my body lets go, so be it. But I'll give it a go. Yeah. Um, I've trained relentlessly. Every, for every 10 leg presses for a while there I was doing, I was doing 20 to 30 on my right leg. So yep. for every left leg, I was doing more than double, triple. I've been a physio. I've prepared in every way I can. Yeah. But I've prepared mentally yeah. because that's what it's going to take. The biggest you know. Yeah. So, yeah, probably tougher than, than any of the single days in the Nullarbor. Yeah. Um, but massive. Just a total, totally different challenge, yeah. really. But I think mentally it's, again, we've been here before. Yeah. You know, we've just got to get out there and follow that. Yeah. I think the, the mental one is, is the probably the, the biggest challenge of the whole thing. Like, I remember riding when I did the Mundabiddy Trail, and I'd be, I'd be out there for, like, hours and hours yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. The body felt fine. Like yeah. I'd done enough training. But yeah. the, the mental side of things, it's oh. like, you just, you just really had to focus Massive. on stopping yourself from going insane. I remember... Yeah. Riding around, talking to cows and talking to yeah. other animals that obviously weren't talking back to me, and yeah. realizing, hey, there's something going on. Here, oh, going on here. I had conversations for hours on end in the night. With yourself? I say the night, the ninety mile straight. Yeah, is all over the media and all over the internet as this tourist destination with this fantastically elaborate looking sign. In fact, I shared the sign numerous times in my lead up. Yeah. 
when I got to this ramshackle, heavily vandalised sign, <laughs> it was slightly overcast and headwinds. Yeah. I was like, this is not going to be what I think it was. <laughs> and I rolled out into that nine or ten hour dead space. Yep. And just, I learned what it was to meditate yep. almost. Because yep. I got out there and my mind was playing tricks. I mean, I was looking at an incredibly straight road that looked like it was almost climbing for... Yep. 142Ks. Yeah. And, I, you know, I just had to go in, inside mentally. I had yep. no access to the outside world. There was complete disconnection. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the 90 miles straight wasn't the first point, but that was one memorable point mm-hmm. because that's where everything turned on me. That's yep. where the wind blew both my knees out and I had to struggle through pain. You know, it, mental is huge. Yeah. And if you tell yourself... If you let go mentally, everything else will go. Yeah, your brain right. your brain wants you to Controls stop. Your whole body wants yeah. you to stop. You're in a, a stressful environment. Yeah. It's about saying, nah, nah, you know, now's not the time. I have to make it. It's it's not not if, it's how. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is if you think back to your past, you're still here and you've had that many challenges in your past, but you're still yeah. here. You you managed to That's push right. through. Yeah. And it's the same when diabetes yeah. gives you I know both of us have been having a pretty crap day in the yeah. last, couple, last yeah. couple of days of blood sugar. It's just whatever's going on. Yeah. But we've been here before and we've gotten through it. Yeah. Because we're still here, right? It, absolutely. So it's the fear. Mm. It's, again, it's that fear. It's Is it your friend or is it your foe? Yeah. And, and if you use that fear as your friend, you know, I numerous times I said to myself in the 90 mile straight, Fear is, is, is like that imaginary demon behind my bike chasing me out of this dead zone. <laughs> Giving you, you know? the push. Yeah, because I needed it. I, my you need that rocket. I was in trouble. I yeah. was legitimately, for the first time in that campaign, I was I was legitimately in trouble that could have cost me making it. Yeah. Um, because they were so swollen. Yeah, right. I had two water balloons on both sides. Yeah, that's right. I've seen those photos. But, you know, again, it comes down to that that strategy. Yep. Because uh, if, if, if I hadn't have modified my plan and yep. adapted the following day there's no way if i had kept going the same way so a bit of quick cycling spiel i <laughs> trained to ride at 90 to 100 cadence yep. so 90 to 100 rpm that's how most cyclists and racing train yeah that's right that's how i put forward my strategy for riding across the country, I quickly realised that was not for me because that's why my knees blew out. Mm, too much rotation. It got to the following day after these knees being incredibly swollen that I pulled over on the side of the road, unable to get above 18k an hour into a relentless headwind again. And I sat down and I very nearly said, I can't do this, but I didn't. I said, how am I going to do this? How? That's right. That's, and, that's the right question, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. And, and, the, and the ball just dropped. From nowhere, I thought, why is that happening to my knee, both of them? Why is it happening now and it never happened in any other day in all the 10-hour training rides I've done (laughs) ever? It's the number of revolutions. So I thought, if I can slow that down somehow, I'll take the pressure off my knee, the obvious choice. Put it into the hardest gear you got and go down to 60 and grind. And over the following days, my muscles adapted and suddenly I was out of hot water. And that's 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 it. That's that is type one. That yeah. that is type one. Suddenly, you know, instead of being reliant on going to a, a doctor or my healthcare provider and, and them giving me suggestions, suddenly I'm you know, I'm now twenty years down the ta- 
track, able to understand the power of strategizing and, yep. and networking yep. and communicating. Yep. And the strategy is a, a very important, changing yeah. strategy, a very important thing with type 1 diabetes. Yeah. It just constantly changes them, so you need to constantly adapt that's and change. Yeah. And that's where I think sport's so crucial because yeah, it's all interlinked. Yeah. We, you know, our strategy in sports, our strategy in life, our yeah. strategy in type 1, our strategy in in professional our professional careers and everything it all ties together yep definitely. it's all built around the same foundation yep. so so with the everesting challenge yep like like the crossing you had a, a cause yeah what, what's the cause for the everesting challenge yeah so look one thing that's flared me up like many of us is the cost of insulin it's you know we are very fortunate in australia yeah definitely but uh when you look around at the rest of the world it's a very very sorry sad tragic picture yeah definitely and i you know i'd heard about insulin for life a number of times um i, I checked out the website i know that there's a number of local uh, outlets that are, are donating supplies to them uh, what they do is obviously provide supplies and complication screening to around 84 disadvantaged nations so if you get diagnosed with type 1 in some of these countries that is a definite shortened lifespan yeah. um, they don't have access to insulin so they, you know, I, I I can't even dream or imagine what that would be like. Yeah, I want to help them. You know, I have the greater benefit of receiving all the help I can get in Australia. Mm -hmm. I want to help them, and by helping Insulin for Life, I'm helping them. So that's why I'm Everesting. You know, I'm I'm going to put myself through the paces. But when I look at it in comparison, some of these families are walking a hundred to two hundred k in a day to go and get basic level medical care yeah. with type 1 that's very poorly controlled because they don't have what we have. And that yeah. breaks my heart. Yeah, definitely. You know, we don't see that. It's not, it's not something that we see here in Australia, but this stuff goes on in the world. And if I can shine a bit of light on that in any way possible, then I will. Yep. So yeah, definitely. let's go. March 30, we'll yep. do it. Great stuff. And again, we'll, we'll put the links... Yeah, um, particularly for Insulin for Life and the great yeah. work that they're doing. Follow them on Facebook, follow them on Instagram. Yeah. Um, they do quite a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And any type 1 diabetics out there that, you know, you've got insulin that potentially going going out of date um, that you, or you think you're not going to use, yeah. these guys take on the insulin and they send it over to That's right. countries that, that need it. Yeah. Um, I so think it's about six months expiry. Yeah. So that's about the cutoff. But, yeah, definitely. There's, yeah. you know, I know that I... I pretty rarely go through all of my insulin there's yeah. always some left over so it can go a long way yeah definitely yeah all right so we can probably go into a lot more with the sporting oh, yeah. side of there's so much more to talk about yeah um, we got limited time exactly obviously. i could talk the leg off the chair and get into this <laughs> stuff as you could yep. but uh you know so if there was one message that you'd like to give what would it be i would say look at all of these amazing and i'm not i am i'm not by any means the only guy that's that's done an endurance event but look at all of these other incredible athletes out there in fact i wouldn't even say we're all athletes some of us are everyday people just people involved in in sports and 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 saying hey you know type one is a tough gig don't let anyone play that down and say that it's not a tough gig because mm. it, it is a tough thing to live with don't let that stop you. Don't let any adversity stop you, but don't let type 1 be your reason why yeah. not. Let it be your reason why. You know, go out there and say, it's not going to stop me. 
go ride the Nullarbor. It's it's completely possible. It yep. is absolutely possible to do these things. Go swim to Rottnest. Go ride the Mundabiddy. You know, there is people doing incredible things and, and they're, they're all saying, you know, yeah, I've got type one. But it's coming. It's yep. not going to stop me. Yep. So, exactly right. yeah, that's my message. Go out and get it. Go out and get it. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, well, thanks very much for, for joining us today, man. Nah, we will get you back on, on the other series. Yeah, most thank definitely. you, mate. It's a pleasure. It's always really pleasure. good what you're doing with, with the podcast. Thanks, and uh, always happy to have a chat. 